kind of a little bit funny that I got her playing the most leisure sport that you could really ever play. <laughs> Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie, sharing stories, empowering mindsets. Hey guys, we've been busy and a lot of that is related to Lowell's racing with his incredible pilot, Ed Veal. We'll chat about that in the outro, but first, Paralympic running champion Nate Reesh is here. Nate, who comes from an intensely athletic family, was hit in the head with a stray golf ball when he was 10. He acquired a traumatic brain injury and was initially paralyzed on his right side. He surpassed all expectations for his recovery and burst onto the international para-athletic scene in 2018. He holds world records and earned a gold medal in the 1500 meter at Tokyo 2020, his debut Paralympic Games. Nate thrives on connection with others. His love for family is palpable and he credits the supportive team around him for his incredible recovery and his ability to excel in sport. Nate has embraced his disability as it's taught him how to be his own person. He has an incredible sense of humor and a winning smile. Nate is amazing and our conversation flew by. We hope you are as inspired by him as we are. Hello. Hello, Mr. Nate Reese. Hey. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Where are you chatting with us from? Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, that is where Matlock is from. Do you know Matlock or are you oh, too young for Matlock? I don't think I do. Okay. He, well, it's, it's a fictional TV show, murder. Oh, he's like a defense gotcha. attorney. <laughs> he's, he's not gotcha. real. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I have no idea what that is that you're talking about. So. <laughs> it's like an 80s, 90s like murder show. Okay. Actually, oh, gotcha. Most gotcha. younger people would know it because it's what the old folks watch in The Simpsons. When they're in okay. the, the old folks' home, the old people are watching Matlock. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah, nope. That flew way over my head. <laughs> awesome. New generation. Yeah. New generation. <laughs> I am a 90-year-old at heart, apparently. <laughs> uh-huh. I love it. So last night, Lowell and I were re-watching your epic race, and it occurred to us that it's been almost a full year since Tokyo 2020 happened. So now, reflecting back a whole year later, how do you feel? Good. It feels like a whole lifetime ago. That's for sure with things, you know, that happened in the world. And just, I mean, I've moved out of Canada, back in the state. It's definitely a memory that makes me smile for sure. And definitely wish my family was there. But I don't look back on it too much. Only when it's played, when I speak or something, and it's kind of shown in the background. It's like, oh, wow, I worked really hard for that. (laughs) The short answer is definitely makes me happy and hopefully looking forward to getting back there. Mm-hmm. Some people work their entire lives to try to get to a games, to a major games, the Olympics, the Paralympics, and you go to your first one and you get your gold medal. This is a big story, a big moment. And then, then what do you do from there? And like, not just get your gold medal, but by a long shot. Yeah, no, I mean, I grew up in this kind of unique environment of having pretty much professional athletes out of where you looked from my parents to my step parents to my grandparents to my uncles. So I grew up, I always say, fortunately, in that environment. And I'd be lying to you if I didn't say every day I woke up dreaming of that becoming my reality. And um, jokingly, I always tell them doing it better than they did because we're all pretty fiery people. And I always had the goal of going to repeat in 24 or trying to win gold if I didn't win in 20. So I feel like I always have these stepping stone goals. So Mm -hmm. if I accomplish one, there's always a next one. But I think, you know, as you get older and older, there's definitely goals off the track 
as well. And so I'm, yeah. you know, trying my best to balance those professional goals versus those on the track goals. Yeah. So how many of your family members have an Olympic gold medal? Do any of them have that? Or are you the first? Nope. I'm the first. Woo! So um, <laughs> that was pretty cool. That's cool. I feel like a big thing in our family is bantering at the dinner table. And so I feel like that definitely gave me a one up, yeah. which is never a bad thing. Yeah, no. So I know your grandpa was in the NHL, right? Yes. And then correct. what other sports? Was anybody else a runner like you or what other sports were represented in your family? So my mom was Canadian national champion in the pole vault. My biological dad was Olympian in the javelin uh, in 96. My stepdad played professional baseball for the Giants and went to the College World Series with the USC Trojans. My stepmom was a high jumper and got, I think, fifth at nationals in the U.S. And then my cousin, Georgia and Moline, got fifth at the Olympics. And then uncle played professional rugby for Canada and U.S. And the list kind of keeps wow. going on and on. So, Do you have any siblings or cousins that just like hate sports or is it just really in the blood? <laughs> no, yeah. None that really hate sports. It's pretty funny because a lot of people always ask like, oh, you must be like one of the better athletes in your family. And I'm like, my three younger siblings are better athletes than I am. So I'm super excited. Oh man, what do they do? My brother Max, the decathlon and plays basketball. He got all the height. He's 6'6 six, six, and he's going into 11th grade and can run like a deer, but also oh is super explosive, which I was wow. like, I didn't think you got all those things. Yeah. <laughs> he, he got the full package. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How tall are you? I'm 6'1". Okay. You're still tall. I'm the shortest out of like brothers and parents. On the male side, I'm the shortest, so they always tease me. Lowell's six two, so he's pretty tall too. But yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, just crazy good athletes. My sister, who's the youngest out of all of us, she's the best athlete by far. I don't even think it's really close. So it's gonna be super excited to just see what they do. That's so fun. It's so much fun as an older brother just to see what they do, and it doesn't matter to me what they do as long as they're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You guys are keeping life exciting for your parents. They have all these events to live vicariously through and watch and cheer for. Yes, we try our best to drive them as crazy as possible. So, <laughs> it's yeah, your I number one goal in life. working out so far. <laughs> Absolutely. So you have a big family and you have many people in the family. We like to learn the lessons from athletes that they've learned from their family. And it's interesting because you can learn things from those who've come before you, your parents and, and aunts and uncles and grandparents. And you can also learn from your siblings. And just you're speaking about your siblings. They're coming after you. They're, they're doing all these activities. What have you learned about sport and mindset from them? From my parents specifically, definitely working hard. It was cool because they didn't really have to preach you need to work hard. I got to see it day in and day out because my mom won her national title in 2000. I was born in 95. So I was able to see that early on and she competed till 03 or 04. So definitely was able to see that. Same with my stepdad. So you were six and you're the oldest of four. Was she pregnant or have a newborn when she was doing those other competitions? Like when she was getting national titles? So my brother's 18 and I'm 27. So she still wouldn't have been having them quite okay. yet. I think 02 might have been the last. I know she went to Commonwealth Games in 02 in Birmingham. So I think that might have been her last one and then she might have had my brother shortly after that it was really cool seeing it wow that. that's cool well there's a lot of offshoots here just like i yeah, heard, sorry the word, interrupt. <laughs> heard the word birmingham is are you going to birmingham and that's like commonwealth is this year again yeah unfortunately they don't have my race for my classification because it seems like 
whoever hosts it, they kind of get to pick and choose what para events are mm-hmm. are in it. And unfortunately, they don't have any good 1500 meter runners or 400 meter runners. So their short sprints are really good. So the 100 is a option. But my coach was not too keen on, uh, yeah. on having me run the 100. I've pulled my hamstring many a times doing some speed work. So I think uh-huh. she... She was like, let's just kind of play it safe with the crazy next two years Olympic and Paralympic athletes have with the world championships. Yeah. Pan Am is definitely a bit crazy. <laughs> yeah. Lots coming up. And I, I found the same. Birmingham doesn't have the longer distance para road events. They just have the short sprint track. So I'm not going to Birmingham either. But that's interesting. That's where your mom went so many years ago to Commonwealth in Birmingham. Yeah. It would have been really cool full circle. That would yeah, have been really cool. But no kidding. like you say, pair of Pan Am games next year in Chile and some worlds coming up. So you got lots of races coming. Oh, uh, let's talk about what's coming up in a bit. But first, let's go back to the lessons learned. Your mom was teaching you hard work. What else have you learned from your parents? I feel like it was a combination between my brain injury and my parents was learning to build a team. Definitely I had such a great team around me after I got paralyzed in the hospital doctors told me basically you wouldn't have a life like it'll be a vegetable like don't worry about graduating high school college isn't even be an option obviously sport not an option at all and from my mom she just said you know we're gonna create goals we're gonna create a plan we have some of the best fitness professionals at our disposal for sure and so that was really important to kind of create a team around me that when I was struggling a bit, they would pick me up or if I was doing something wrong, have someone that can really tell you who still loves you, but also at the same time, you're like, hey, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. And also when you achieve things, having those people around you to celebrate. And mm-hmm. I think I didn't realize how special that team was early on. And then I went to college and didn't really have a coach I agreed with great person just we didn't connect and i definitely didn't accomplish anything i wanted to in college like Mm. i thought i would be at the regional meet my freshman year and then at the national meet my next three years and didn't even make the regional meet one you know after i came home and decided that there was an avenue or a space for me within the paralympics i created this high performance team of coaches mental performance nutrition Mm. sports med and it almost mimicked that team mm. that helped me recover and, you know, come to close the old Nate and, you know, created this new Nate. And so, yeah, I think teamwork and creating that team was really important. And then mm. I guess from my siblings, it just compete. I think we, we all compete against each other. And I think I wouldn't have been as successful if it wasn't for them. If they accomplished something that I didn't, I don't get jealous or anything like that, but it definitely pushes me. It, you know, it makes me want to go train hard and my brother Max and I have a very special and unique relationship where we can cross over and train uh, with each other. And he's run faster in the 800 than I did in high school. And he just graduated 10th grade. So it's cool wow. that we can train together. And also he's the one that kind of seeks my advice mm-hmm. uh, and my feedback and kind of wants to go with me to the track or wants me to be at his practices. You know, as an older mm-hmm. brother, I definitely clinch onto that. And who knows when he won't want those yeah. opinions. And so um, definitely taking that with both hands. Aw, I love those special sibling relationships. I don't know if you know Olympic hurdler Sarah Wells, but she has a similar relationship yeah. with her siblings. And it's just so special. Lowell is asking what you've learned from other people in your life and how it's impacted your mindset. But I would be really interested to learn from your siblings what they've learned from you to have their big brother have this brain injury and come back 
back and accomplish so much. Yeah, I think the one thing I certainly hope they learn from me that it doesn't matter what cards you've been dealt, it matters what you do with that hand. And I had these big audacious goals before I got hurt. And because I got hurt doesn't mean that I can't achieve those goals. And mm. I think failure, it's okay if you have a short-term failure, we call it, but if you don't go chase it because you're fearful or you're terrified, you're going to regret that for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. And so I think those are the two things uh, that I really hope that they learn from me. And mm-hmm. you, know, you can go either way when you have an injury like that or just any crazy yeah. life situation. I don't think my story is unique or special. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was just given this amazing opportunity to fight through adversity. And fortunately, I came out on the other side better than the yeah. doctors thought I would. And I know I'm extremely lucky for that, but I've also learned some amazing lessons. So those are kind of the two ones I really hope I passed on. Boom. Those are powerful. Yeah. We have, (laughs) our boys are nine and 10 and you were 10 when you were hit in the head with a golf ball, right? So I'm just trying to imagine our boy who's also very active in sports. Like if that happened, was it when you were 10 and in the hospital still that you're like, no, I'm, I'm still going to do stuff. Like you, you can't tell me I'm not going to do sports. You can't tell me I'm not going to walk. Like, were you that headstrong already at 10? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was super headstrong. Um, definitely the kind of extended the middle finger, like figuratively and being like, all right, let's do this thing. And I think I was fiery, but sports came so easy to me just because I mean, obviously, so, so many great athletes and uh, everything was really easy and everything wasn't easy mm-hmm. during that time. And yeah. yeah, so that that was super tough. And also, I remember when my brother Benji, who's the oldest of the younger ones, was 10. I remember thinking, like, wow, like, at this age, I was sitting in a hospital bed, motionless with IVs going everywhere throughout my body and thinking that through people telling me that my life was over. And, you know, I couldn't imagine him going through that. I probably couldn't have imagined myself going through that at 10 either. And I think that was pretty eye-opening and just interesting to think about. Yeah. So did you have full paralysis of one side of your body initially? Yeah. So it's basically you just drew a line down the middle, everything to the, on the right side was paralyzed. I couldn't wiggle my right toe, arm, anything. Can go to the bathroom. Like it was all at the start, and took several weeks to kind of get that back. I was in the hospital for about a month. They wrote a medical journal on my recovery because they're just not too sure why I was able to recover. Because there's a lot of similar injuries to me that just didn't make any really recovery. And I think I was just really lucky being young and brain being underdeveloped at that time. And I think if I was older, I probably wouldn't be doing the things I am today. That's for sure. Yeah. So what kind of impacts do you still have from it? So my recovery, extremely slow. After every session, my uncle's group with sports medicine, they have to basically put my body back together after every session. I basically lose all of my range of motion on my right side. So to compete on able bodies, like I made the semifinal at the national championships this year mm. and i basically had to have treatment to put myself back together and you know each day day after day after day so that recovery is definitely a big thing and also the coordination on my right side sometimes it's just super wonky i talk about my tbi as kind of mental health like mental health it's invisible you can't see it but that can be the most debilitating of them all mm. and that's exactly like a tbi sure i have really good genetics i work really hard so sometimes i look like i run pretty smooth but mm. i don't feel like i run smooth i feel super jerky i mm. have to do all these little things that not a lot of other people have to do mm. to compete at that high level and for me it's not an option not to compete at that high level and so i'm going to do everything i can to get myself there the tbi or traumatic brain injury 
it causes all sorts of impacts throughout the body and fatigue, that kind of jerkiness. What does stress do to that for you or the tiredness and, and travel? Because your life is stressful too, even before you show up to a race. So say Tokyo, the, the start line, not being able to move your legs or something that, that comes up ahead of time. How predictable is this other than just after a race where you destroy yourself and I have to build you back? Not predictable at all, which sucks, <laughs> um, you know, sometimes. And I, there's definitely, when I'm really tired, that's really when you notice it all stutter really, really bad. And it's almost like when I get super fatigued, it's, it's like someone who's drunk. Like I'm slurring my words, my balance is way off. My coach has sent me home five or six times just saying like, why are you even here? Mm. Like in a loving way, being like, yeah. you shouldn't be training kind of type thing. And mm. I mean, she's the best coach that I've ever had. Mm. And that's definitely, I just wrote a piece for CBC that'll be coming out in a couple of weeks, a little bit about her and just about my move and things. And it's crazy how when you find a coach that can work with you and mm. where we're not like fighting mm. this injury instead we're finding ways to make me better and not overtrain and so i think that's the biggest part everyone has a recovery profile mm. and so just trying our best to find those data points and find some sort of rhythm or find a certain type of training that fatigues me more and i don't do that as much like speed like pure speed 150s 100 like really hard 200s my nervous system is just fried and so I really have to learn to use my aerobic system more and just do a lot of what we call threshold. I know cyclists probably know exactly what uh, threshold is. And so that's basically my bread and butter is threshold. And thankfully, I've been gifted with some speed from some of my uh, explosive family members, which is nice. Wow. You mentioned a stutter in there. Do you control a stutter at all times? Or is it just that a stutter comes out when your nervous system is kind of letting you down a bit? Yeah, so after my injury, it was uh, probably still my biggest thing that bothers me the most is my stutter. It's something that I went to speech therapy for for a long time, and I really didn't get a grasp on it until my mom pushed me to the stage to start public speaking for uh, local children's hospitals. And at that point, it's like sink or swim. You better Mm -hmm. learn how to bring your message across without Mm -hmm. stuttering. And I definitely notice if I want to talk faster or if I get excited. That I stutter and yeah, I used to not be able to get five words out without wow. just stuttering and, stam- and stammering and definitely a big insecurity in junior high and high school. Oh, and yeah. definitely I was very quiet in junior high and yeah. a lot of people were worried because I just wouldn't talk. So yeah, that was definitely a big problem for me and you know how 13 to 16 year olds can be. And, yeah. and so yeah, that was definitely super tough. I'm actually a speech therapist and stuttering is one of the reasons why I went into the field because I had a classmate in junior high who was this popular athletic guy, but sometimes when he would speak in front of the class too, he would have a stutter and my heart just went out to him. It's frustrating when you you know what you're trying to say, mm-hmm. but you can't get it out. Also, I feel like you become not a good listener because you're so worried about getting your words out that you're actually not listening to the person. And so you're, it's really hard to grow if you can't really listen to others and seek advice. And so I felt like I really needed to get that out of the way so I could really start listening and being a really good listener because the relationships with you know, my girlfriend or my family mm-hmm. or coaches, it's really important to listen. And I'm a people person too. I love to talk. I love to speak publicly. Mm-hmm. And I just love to just chat with people. Um, and so that was definitely pretty frustrating. Yeah. It seems like your mom 
knew some of the treatment already. I'm a psychologist and part of the work we do on overcoming social anxiety or fears or traumas is we need to face it. Instead of fleeing the dragon in fear, we need to go befriend it or slay it. And getting back on stage, getting up there and speaking with the right why. So when you know your why, you can figure out the how. And it sounds like for you to get up there for that meaning, to speak for children's hospitals, to know what these kids are going through in the service of others, yeah. it doesn't matter. And, and we can have a stutter, we can have our disabilities, we can have our moments where we're not perfect. And that's okay. Your message, your message is bigger than you for those kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, who cares if I even have a stutter when I give this message because it's so important for the kids. Absolutely. And it's so crazy. Like, I, you know, parents are, I feel like, such an important role of anyone's life. But I never would have guessed. I believe I had the perfect parents for me. Mm. My mom was the one who threw me out to speak. And my stepdad, who is probably my best friend, Aww. took me back on the golf course. Uh, and wow. within yeah. six months, I had both of those fears gone. Yeah. And because they're like, my stepdad, yeah, he's, I mean, it makes me like almost want to cry or so mm -hmm. emotional because of how amazing he is. And he was like, dude, you have to conquer yes. these fears. So we're going to go out to the golf course. We're going to see where all the holes are, where everyone's hitting from so that you know that if you put yourself here, then you don't have to worry about it. Mm. And just being attentive, don't have music, don't be on your phone. Mm. And so just kind of learning those things. And if I didn't have that combination of them too, um, I definitely wouldn't have conquered both of those fears. That, yeah. that is for certain. So they pushed you, but with safety and love. Mm -hmm. To have a corrective experience and to face that fear in a way that you feel like you have safety and choice and control. And you did it. We often think about coming back after traumas or difficulties. Are we going to be bitter or better? And because of the influences you had, these perfect parents, these coaches, the team that you had in your life, and then this tenacity you have within yourself, you faced it and now you are a better version of yourself. And man, your parents and step-parents must just be so thrilled to hear these conversations that you have where your reviews of them are so glowing. It's just like they, they nailed it, man. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've heard so many horror stories with step-parents and my stepmom and stepdad are just so amazing. I mean, I don't even have one negative thing to say about uh, either of them, but especially my stepdad. Like, I mean, mm. it's crazy as you get older and you mature more. He basically came into my life and was married to my mom about the same age I am now and mm. stopped oh, playing okay. baseball, got a job to support my mom and me. And so it's just crazy the amount of respect that grows with you going through you know similar things or reaching that age that yeah. he would have been and i can't picture in my head me having a kid at this point and not from me you know from someone else and there's no difference in the way he loves me versus my other three siblings uh, which is from what i've heard very unique yeah. it's really cool to be able to grow that respect for him because that's something he deserves wow powerful yeah it's very special you've spoken so highly of the people in your life and your family and friends and all these lessons. And then you spoke about this kind of rehab and the physical, but also the mental side. And we've also heard you speak and some of the talks you've given in the media, you talk about the mental game. Can you walk <laughs> us through the importance of the mental game and what that is for you? We talk about the mental game, but a lot of people don't know what that means practically. So can you break that down? The importance of the mental game for Nate and then what that looks like. So I was a very overachiever in practice and a very underachiever in competition. 
I would just have these crazy good workouts and I wouldn't run really anywhere near those times. And when I moved up to Victoria in 2018, worked with a sports psychologist by the name of John Coleman, who I still work with to today. And our first problem or thing we had to deal with is there's just things in your life that you just got to deal with. And a couple of my friends committed suicide when I was younger and just, you know, just coming to grips with that and just writing a letter Mm. to them and kind of coming to a close with that or just trying to deal with that. And then we also created this ultra ego, which we call the gray wolf mentality, which is my middle name is gray wolf creating this kind of different person. Cause I would probably characterize myself as kind of friendly and nice off the track, but on the track, I'm definitely not a nice person. (laughs) And I kind of turn into this different person. A lot of people see those crazy pictures after my race where I'm screaming and my veins are like popping out of my neck. And <laughs> definitely all my buddies tease me about those pictures. And that's the gray wolf. Yeah. <laughs> different person when you touch that track, you are intense. And so that was really important. I definitely had that performance anxiety. Mm. And so I found meditation to be really important. And just as we were talking about earlier, just stress, like life stress. I would kind of let it get to me. And that's definitely not a good thing for performance. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, if you're running from that stress, it's going to make it worse and worse. But if you actually accept it, Mm -hmm. you know, sit with yourself for 10 minutes every day, it doesn't have to be an hour, two hours, three hours. Some people do some pretty intense things out there. But really, if it's only 10 minutes and you just accept whatever stress you have and agree to take it head on, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think I was running away from things like an easy example is I had a bunch of missed calls. I wouldn't call those people back for months. And I didn't realize how much it was stressing me out, but I would just keep putting it off, mm-hmm. putting it off, putting it off. And then yeah. I found if I just call them back, you know, within a day or two, then that's off my checklist and I'm happy about it. And it's not affecting me down the road. So yeah, now I won't do a race without meditating. Usually I'll do like my foam rolling and stretching and meditation, and then I'll go warm up for my race. And so that's kind of a practice that has really helped. And I learned that I don't need to be super hype when I race because I'm already a pretty intense person. (laughs) So I actually need to calm down, listen to some country music and meditate. (laughs) Finding ways to ground yourself, to be in the moment, to be present. That sounds like it's done a lot for you. And then not running from the struggle. That theme comes back for anxiety, for fears, for trauma. The avoidance makes it grow. And you facing it seems to to ease and, and calm you down. That's awesome. So your middle name is Grey Wolf. That's such a cool name. Is there a story behind that? There, there, there definitely is a story behind it. So my great-grandma is full-blood Native American. Okay. Um, and so I, therefore, am probably just a sprinkle of Native American, as you can see from my complexion, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, not necessarily uh, a giveaway. Yeah. But one of the elders in the tribe gave me that middle name. And that's always been something that's super special. And uh, anyone who looks at my social media or really anything, it's always Negro Wolf, just because it's, I think, something that's different. And also, I just have always had great pride to be Native American. And even if it's a little bit seems very fitting too especially when without even realizing it you like yell and stuff after your race you know it's very wolf-like of you yes and <laughs> i love how i don't mean to yell and then i'm always telling myself like don't yell and then all of a sudden i start yelling and i'm like oh these pictures are going to be great i can't wait for the memes from all my friends um to get back to my phone and just beat the hand from all my buddies i'm like oh you guys suck <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's the gray wolf in you. You just can't help it. Not to be suppressed. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> Unleash the beast. Yeah, that's awesome. Meaning, identity, lots of cool themes that you get to channel and, and carry with you. Why sport? Why do you do this? And, and what does it mean to you to compete? I feel like the Kobe Bryant quote is the, the best way I found to put it into words is sport is the greatest metaphor for life. And I feel like you can just learn so many things and it not be a dire consequence. I mean, obviously, there's certain sports like boxing or UFC where it is more dire. But, you know, in running, you can fail, fail, fail again and learn these amazing lessons that you can really use. I'll probably be in the business world, you know, after either speaking or communication side. So I think it just gives me an opportunity to learn how to advocate for myself, you know, learn how to talk to different companies, learn how to execute what I want to under pressure. And so those things you can use down the line. And also I have that competitive component just in my soul. So um, that kind of gets that, that part out of the way too. And my parents are fine if you don't play sport and it's not a thing where you have to play sport, but it's just kind of something that we all love and we all don't play the same sports. We all play different. It's cool. But yeah, I think it's just kind of a family thing as well. So what are you doing in Atlanta, Georgia? <laughs> I've lived all over the place throughout my life. I was born in Fresno, California. I lived in Phoenix for a majority of my youth until I was in 11th grade. And then I moved to Atlanta, Georgia for my last two years of high school. And then went to college in South Carolina and Alabama. And then I moved up to Victoria in 2018. Most of the summers were spent in BC with my grandpa, just helping him on his campground mm -hmm. or just hanging out with him, playing hockey growing up. So I've kind of been all over the place and I didn't see my family for two years during the pandemic because I oh. thought to win gold, I needed to put myself in this super intense environment and just train my butt off. And that's what I did. And obviously they are the best people to understand what I needed to do. And at the same time, I miss being an older brother and there's just something different being in person. And mm. my brother Benji just graduated high school this past year, got a full ride scholarship to play at Sacramento State for baseball. Wow! And so I wanted to see the last part of his baseball season and graduation and mm. he's going into high school this year. So make sure that I'm around for all those things. And and then met a girl who means a lot to me too. Mm -hmm. So that'll keep you there. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been a part of family friend for a long time. Uh -huh. She's amazing. And so, yeah, I think that combination of those things with a bunch of cousins here as well and my uncle. Okay. So it kind of made sense. Yeah. So is your coach there too? No, she's still up in Victoria. Okay. She just sends me programs. And luckily she always says, Nate's not someone who's going to miss training. <laughs> I'm someone who just loves training and I'm very organized and like to schedule it out. And this is when I'm going to be at the track. This is when I'm going to get treatment. My whole treatment staff is here in Georgia. Like my uncle lives five minutes down the road, mm. who was the person who was in Tokyo with me. So it honestly makes it even easier, mm -hmm. which is really nice. And a lot of the races we come to are all in the state. So oh, nice. it just made a bit more sense. So I just connect with my coach. At, we have three or four training camps throughout the year. So I'll connect with that staff during then and I'll usually go up to Victoria once or twice a year I mean who doesn't love Victoria so uh <laughs> definitely a beautiful place to train and a lot of great running and mm -hmm. yeah. biking trails so it's pretty easy to go back up there uh, 
Yeah, it's one of the, one of the races we've done together, the Royal Victoria Marathon. Yeah, we did the eight k though, AK not the mar- not the marathon. No, thank you. I say no marathon, no thank you as well. So <laughs> <laughs> do you have dual citizenship then? I do. Yeah. So my mom competed for Canada, and my biological dad competed for the U.S. And my mom got my citizenship basically right when I was born. Right. Since I was really young, I always told my mom I wanted to run for Canada, and she was one of the main people that was there for my injury, and then my grandma who her mom passed away when i was really young from breast cancer but the stories about how amazing person she was and then also my grandpa who played with wayne gretzky and bobby orr and scored 10 points in one game three goals 24 seconds wow i realized how big hockey was but i didn't fully grasp (laughs) how big hockey was in canada until everyone are you jim harrison's grandson yes yes i am and so it was funny you know meeting media especially we do our media summit in toronto meeting people there who all know jimmy yeah it was pretty cool i felt like it was like a, just this whole new world which just in the u.s you know hockey is just not incredibly big maybe in two or three states but yeah. so yeah it was really cool uh, well on behalf of all canadians thank you for choosing to represent canada when you earned your gold medal <laughs> <laughs> really really easy choice <laughs> that's great yeah Hockey's big here. It's interesting to see probably this eye-opening piece and to have such a connection to hockey in your lineage is awesome. You had a big smile on your face. You're speaking about a special person. And what have you learned and what do you love about your girlfriend? Her name is Cherie, and she's someone who just is so great at supporting me. And I definitely hope that she feels the same way for me. And I've always wanted someone who chases their goals, and that's definitely something she does. And we definitely have very similar passions with kids with disabilities or just working with younger kids in general. And so I think that really makes it easy. And she's just amazing. Mm -hmm. She's traveled to a lot of my meets this year. And Mm -hmm. I think part of maybe problem isn't the right word, but I wasn't good at celebrating the win but really enjoying the journey i love to train i love to train hard all the time so a lot of times at these meets now we'll either go a day early or a day after and whatever city we're in experience it and go and try new things and the large part of the cbc article that i was talking about earlier is just about how being happy and being around people that you love has shown for me to have my most consistent year ever Going into 2021, my PB was 352. By the end of the year, I ended up running 347, but I had only run under 362, I think, three times. And wow. this year, wow. my slowest time is 352. <laughs> wow. Basically, every race has been 352 or faster. And I PB in the 800, ran my first race, ran 348, fastest open by four seconds. I think it just showed that the training definitely isn't the problem for me. I just love it. I don't lack motivation, which I know that's mm. what some older athletes will talk about is that they kind of ebbs and flows with that. And so I think she just kind of opened up this different kind of world to allow me to relax Mm. and just go out there and do what I have to do. But also running isn't who I am. It's just part of what I do. I love mentoring with classroom champions. I love being there for my siblings. I love playing horrible golf, which that's the only type of golf I play (laughs) and just joking around because I'm definitely a big jokester and like to have fun. Mm. It's almost like I have a full life now, which is something that I was definitely missing in Victoria. Whenever I say that people in Victoria, especially the staff that helped me get to where I got to are amazing. It's definitely not them. It's just my family. I just love my family so Mm. much. Mm. It makes the journey a bit more worth it when they're more involved. Mm -hmm. 
Aww. Beautiful. I was going to ask if Cherie was louder than you at your meets because I'm like the loudest person there at Lowell's races. But then I remembered that you are Grey Wolf. So, <laughs> <laughs> so she actually is probably louder than I am. Okay, um, good But for her. she cannot top my mother. Um, <laughs> no one can top my mother. So we used to always uh, track me to like Nate because she would always coach at my high school, either pole vault or hurdles, because those are the two events that she competed in. And I'd be like, where's your mom? And I would be like, hold on. We just wait for her to yell. <laughs> oh, she's over there. Um, because her voice is so distinct and so loud. And she just says that she's cheering. I'm like, mom, you're yelling. Um, but, uh, the cheer but, yell. Yeah, <laughs> yes, for sure. There's some pretty funny, intense pictures of her cheering for me we need our cheerleaders we need our supports he helps us run and cycle faster oh absolutely (laughs) i would like to transition a little bit into the parasite for a moment you've done a lot of able-bodied in your life and kind of moved forward and then you had this big experience of going to the paralympics so i'd like to ask a couple questions about that and before we kind of hit a word bird quick fast round of what these words mean to you but the first one would be paralympic spirit like, what does a Paralympic spirit mean to you? The first thing that pops into my head is just so many amazing stories and no one comparing or contrasting each other. Like, oh, my injury is worse than yours or anything like that. And I always say my favorite thing to do is just to sit in the cafeteria and just hear stories. Mm-hmm. That's why I started a podcast during the pandemic. I haven't really been doing it recently, but that's why I started. Just an excuse to talk to some of my friends who are on team Canada who we would go to training camp and wouldn't talk to really until the next training camp and so just being able to hear their backstories and that's really what I love about the Paralympics and I think for me for so long time I would hide my disability just because I wanted to compete at this high level and I feel like it's taught me to be my own person uh, too which is really important my injury is not a poor me it's not feel bad for me it's you know really just leaning into adversity that's like strictly kind of what i see it as and at the end of the day it's kind of a little bit funny that i got hurt playing the most leisure sport that you could really ever play (laughs) (laughs) so that's what we always joke around in my family but it's cool to you know connect with people like that and a lot of times comedy or laughing is how you get through some of those moments Mm -hmm. and so it's cool finding those connections with other people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We can relate. That's why we started this podcast too. Learning stories of Lowell's fellow para-athletes. And I just like, I just wanted to hear more. So what's your podcast called? Strides with Grey Wolf. So I haven't really done it since before Tokyo. I'm currently staying at my parents' house. So definitely a lot of kids and oh. jumping around and <laughs> yeah. things like that. And Not very podcast friendly. <laughs> yeah, not super podcast friendly. I definitely want to get back. Mm-hmm. to it i'm going to be moving to dc here somewhat soon yeah. my girlfriend so it'll be good to have my own space again and mm-hmm. be able to kind of start that back up yeah let us know when you start back up or we'll yeah. just go subscribe to it and then we'll just get the notifications we'll when... be waiting yeah waiting to stride with the gray wolf <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah excellent okay so a couple quicker rounds just what comes to mind but i just want to hear your thoughts on the word so start off disability strength failure forward love family oh that was my next word family (laughs) (laughs) powerful growth mindset starting line lay it on the line i would have said diarrhea (laughs) (laughs) julie doesn't like racing as much as we do (laughs) lose part of the process win fun (laughs) pressure what you want suffering 
part of the job. Limits. Non-existent. Cool. Nailed it. Yeah. Those are my words. And I like that. I like that rapid fire. You, you hit some great words in there. Seeing the mindset of Nate Greywolf. That's awesome. You have a tenacity about you. You definitely become better, not bitter in this process of healing and recovery. I love your sense of humor. Great big smile and your love of family, the love of sport, the love of giving back. It just oozes from you in such a good way. So I don't know if you can use ooze in a good way, but that <laughs> that I, doesn't make you think of infection. But I just but. did. <laughs> it, yeah, you you're glowing with that love and care. So this is amazing. You're you're quite a wonderful human being. Looking forward to listening to your podcast. And as you continue to grow and develop and figure out what the next chapter is for your life. Thank you so much. So what is in store coming up? What's the plan? So I'll definitely go through 2024. I'm definitely heating up some of the speaking engagements. I'll be speaking for National Academy of Sports Medicine here coming up in October at their Optima Summit, which is something that we're kind of part of the NASM family. We have multiple people in our family have worked for them. So it's really cool that kind of full circle. And I always kind of dreamed about speaking at that event younger in my life, I didn't really know what I would be saying at the event. So it's cool that I get to tell my story and also talk about their training platform. It's what we've used my entire life to get me ultimately to gold. And, mm. and then, uh, you know, finding that next avenue post-sport, which I feel like, I don't know if you relate or not, but the thing that definitely makes me nervous and wanting to find something that I don't have to be as passionate about it, but something that definitely means something to me. I think that's super important. And so trying to find those passions and seeing what kind of makes me tick and also seeing if that can work in a job. But, you know, if anyone listening is looking for someone to speak to their classroom or to their business, you know, I'm always open to speaking and I truly love it. So oh, awesome. Love the opportunity. And how do people find you? So either Instagram or Twitter at Nate Graywolf. And then my email is NathanReach at Yahoo.com. Awesome. As you were talking about that and then transitioning to other passions other than sports and career type stuff, it just made me think how lucky you are to have been introduced to parasport so young. In Lowell's case, he became a registered psychologist, like had his career before he even heard about parasport. So it's been later in life. He's one of the older guys. He's 40 and just now pursuing his Paralympic dreams. So different paths for different people. But that's one of Lowell's passions, too, is wanting to share about parasport to younger people so that they know it's there. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because I feel like I found parasport so late because I didn't find it since I was 24 and graduated oh, yeah. college. And all of my competitors have been doing it since they were 10 to 12. Oh, really? Okay, wow. It's so true. There's just so many different paths. And, yeah. and I'm definitely happy that we both found it because mm-hmm. it just brought so much joy to my life, that's for sure. Uh, hopefully you guys can meet in Paris. Well, and before then, maybe in oh. Santiago, Chile, the Parapanam Games, let's uh, sit down at the cafeteria <laughs> and, and have a conversation in person. Oh, absolutely. I have to hear your stories. Enough about me. I'll be asking the questions. All right. <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun. That will be awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your big spirit, your big smile. And we look forward to seeing more of Nate and Grey Wolf in the races and years to come. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time. You're a very inspiring human. So thank you. Thank you so much. I can't believe after having Greg on the podcast that you wanted me on the podcast. Us two troublemakers. It's uh, (laughs) tough. (laughs) Hey, we love troublemakers. (laughs) Keep life interesting. (laughs) No, you guys both have amazing stories. Well, you have yourself a great day. Thank you. You as well. Awesome. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. (laughs) See ya. Well, Nate Reich, what a nice guy. Uh, 
so genuine. Being able to hear his mindset, overcoming how he sees his adversity as an opportunity, and not just from this internal. He has this huge, amazing mindset inside, but the team, the support, his family, this is a wonderful story about many people coming together to love through the adversity. Yeah, he has so much support. We've heard a lot of stories of people being born with an impairment or some sort of disability. And then we've also had people later stage in life with a disability. But for him being a 10-year-old boy, just being out golfing and getting hit, and then that changing his life path forever, it definitely impacted him in adolescence and being kind of bullied or being teased having to struggle to overcome, but with this team and this tenacity, you can just hear the depth, the growth, the maturity that he has. He spoke about growth mindset and that idea that you can grow from this, that the mindset of overcoming is part of him now. He sees his challenges and he's seeing about the future, but all the ways he can continue to grow and serve. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. And his story can definitely impact kids, especially kids who are in the hospital or who find themselves impacted by something similar to what happened to him. Mm -hmm. His story would be really powerful for them. There's often a question in disability of why did this happen? And the why questions are often not that helpful. We don't know why it happened, but it's what we do with it. So Nate now is uniquely gifted to speak, to share, to inspire. Mm -hmm. He's inspiring his siblings. He's teaching them lessons. He's inspiring his family, but also all these people that he can now speak to as a classroom champion, as this motivational speaker in, in his next future in the career after sport, he is now gifted to help others who are going through their struggles. Mm. And that is the unique gift that he has to offer and he is doing it wonderfully already and yeah. looks like he's going to continue to do that for a very long time. He also spoke in there, which is a powerful theme of wanting to try to just fit in, try not to look different, trying to just be that able-bodied and, and not have other people see us. And that is one of the hard transitions to go through is accepting the identity of the disability. So the blind person or the visually impaired person bringing out the, the cane, kind of that acceptance piece is difficult. But for him to really embrace his disability, embrace this as part of who he is and not try to hide it and not try to just pretend to be able-bodied, that he can be authentically him. And that is the best version of him to be. Mm -hmm, for sure. Well, again, another amazing guest. We're just so blessed to be able to have these opportunities to speak to these wonderful human beings. And we'll continue to check in from time to time with these inspiring individuals and share those conversations with you. Yeah. Um, but we should explain part of our absence is because of all of Lowell's racing and nailing it. Well, we've been very busy in general, but we should update the people on your races, Lowell. Yeah, he did so, World Cups 1 and 2 in Belgium and Germany. If you're still listening this long, yes, <laughs> now is the time to maybe update you on, on a bit of our lives. I have been training and racing and this kind of new motivation to compete in Paris 2024. And to do that, we need to get to the World Cups and into World Championships. So where we're at now, I've already competed in World Cup 1 and 2, Belgium and Germany, and we had our best results yet. We have a fourth, two-fifths, and a sixth. Um, can I just explain the sixth one real quick? The road race in Germany was where they finished sixth. And by that point, that was the fourth out of four races between the Belgium and Germany World Cups. And at that point, they had already beat every team that they were competing against except for the top guys from the Netherlands. 
So you guys had high hopes for a podium finish. Yes, we did. Halo. So unfortunately, about three pedal strokes off the start line, their chain snapped. So the rest of 2021, however many elite tandems there were, got a bit of a head start as the mechanic came and quickly fixed their chain. And they got started over four whole minutes after all of the rest of the tandems. And they just put their heads down and said, well, all we can do is chase. So chase they did. And at the 70 kilometer mark, they caught the pack. (laughs) Yes, insane. So they'd already put all that work into catching them, but now they had to stay with them for the rest of the 25 more kilometers about. That one was 95 or 96 kilometers. And so they stuck with them and they ended up in the sprint for third. But because they had gassed themselves so much and their legs were cramping like crazy, normally sprints are a strong suit for them, but they had already used so much. So they didn't win the sprint and they ended in sixth, but they definitely earned the respect of fellow athletes, coaches, fans from around the world. It was pretty incredible. And we're all very, very proud of them. Mm -hmm. An incredible, epic sixth place finish. Yeah, it was probably one of the most memorable races we've had. And to show the, just the idea of what we can achieve when we put our minds to it and, and we don't give up, it would have been easy on the start line, standing there, just three pedal strokes off and a broken bike to say, all right, well, we'll try next time. But we just decided to go for it. And with that, we were able to get selection for world championships. So we're going to be going to the World Cup in Quebec City the first week of August, and then we're going to the World Championships the second week of August in Bay Como, Quebec, so two home Canadian international races. And then we are looking to see if we're going to be doing track worlds in Paris in October, and that will be it for the 2022 races. We're going to be looking for the 2023 races and selection for the Paris 2024 games. And that's where we're at at this stage. Yeah, and then we just kind of skipped right past uh, that you guys defended your national time trial title. So they are the fastest in Canada, the strongest. Just had our June nationals and that went very well for our TT. And then we're going to be doing track nationals as well. Smaller fields, but helps us place for the world selection. Yeah. So a few things going on here, but yeah, just like Nate said, how he's just passionate about learning people's stories and he just happened to press record and share them with others. That's where we're at too. We still love hearing from people just like Nate, just ugh, fill my heart. If you're not already subscribed, subscribe. So you get the notifications when the next one comes in. And we'll keep putting them out when we're able to put them out. Yes, but also uh, we wanted to let people know that the podcast email address that we gave in the first several episodes that we dropped does not exist anymore (laughs) apparently because we have to pay for it now so we're not about to do that so we'll make a new email address but otherwise you can just reach us on instagram our handle there is at obsopspod or our personal handles on instagram and twitter are at julolcam so hopefully we get another conversation before the next four months pass (laughs) before christmas Is that a good goal, Lul? It's a good goal. (laughs) Okay. Until next time. Awesome. Thanks again, Nate. Bye. Bye.